Hello, and welcome to a very special milestone episode of Burn Your Draft, the podcast exploring the Reed College thesis process and experience. We are now in the fourth year of this podcast, and if you're a longtime listener, you might remember our very first host, Francesca Frank Tangerlini. She is now graduated and is coming back to sit on the other side of the mic this time and talk about her thesis on Title IX. Frank, thank you so much for agreeing to be here. We are so excited to have you. Could you please give us the classic BYD introduction? I'm Francesca Tangerlini. I was the first host of Burn Your Draft, and I'm from Washington, D.C. I graduated with a degree in sociology and a minor in media studies from Reed College. The name of my thesis was The Small Liberal Arts Experience, Title IX, and Student Perception of Sexual Misconduct. My thesis advisor was Alexandra Herzog. Can you give me just from 30,000 feet view, what is your thesis about? Yes. So I was really interested in what Title IX was and why it takes on all of these different roles at a university and how much students knew about Title IX. How do people become familiar with Title IX and the different policies and resources and services that exist on campus? And then once they are familiar, how do they feel about them? And like whether they're actually willing to recommend or utilize these services and resources that they were so politically debated for so long. And it felt like that was like a lot of the forefront of college controversy. What are we going to do about Title IX, especially with the changing of parties? It changed four different times in a 10 year period. If people were even familiar with those changes enough to have an opinion about them as a student. And yeah, yeah, it was just looking at the policies and how students see the policies and how that might help with this climate. What was the time period that these four changes were happening in? So at the beginning, Joe Biden, when he was still vice president, changed Title IX and he expanded the amount of cases that would be heard and in order for a case to happen on campus. How much evidence has to be shown instead of a very small window of evidence, it became wider so people could hear more cases and schools were having to deal with a larger problem. And like a bunch of different news reports are being released. Have you ever heard of the documentary, The Hunting Ground? Yes. Yeah. That came out in 2015. So Hunting Ground was a documentary. It's about sexual assault on college campuses in the United States and college administrations. They were finding that a lot of colleges, there were reports, but because of the way the Title IX office worked and that you were keeping it within the university, They were able to cover it up on a number of levels. And then even outside of the university, I know John Krakauer wrote a book and I read it as like my reading book throughout my thesis. I didn't really use it, but it was called Missoula. And he just documented all of these different instances of women being assaulted on campus, but by athletes or by somebody on campus that just the university felt that they didn't want to harm this person's reputation or harm their future, even though there was another student that was being harmed. So yeah, he tracked all of that. And those two together coming out, I think started another conversation that had been in the works for a while, but I think like any kind of media. Yeah, I think it, I think it made a lot of people scared. I think it worked. Yeah, I think People get scared, but then I didn't really feel like there was that much of a conversation about it on campus or I didn't see it take off in a new way. But I do think that the campus culture is changing, I hope. 
another colleges too. And it scared the bejesus out of a lot of parents. And they were all kind of like, what is this problem on campus? And so he expanded it and tried to help victims. And he tried to make all of these processes a little bit more legible and accessible. And he included quite a bit more into this Title IX. It was the idea that sexual assault was a gendered issue and was harming people's education on a gendered basis, which I don't really think at this point it should be a part of that. But he did that. And then Trump was elected and he got Betsy DeVos and she released 2000 pages that made it a lot harder for anybody to have their cases heard and just gave every Title IX office quite a bit of a shake. But then a bunch of schools and states decided that they weren't really going to use those rules. But it was just weird. And then Biden was reelected and he put everything on pause and said, we're going to go back to the way it was before. So it was just like this big switch about a serious, huge problem on campuses. I know the Title IX office is aware of it, but our students and does that actually change the way they think and do and act? Were you always interested in Title IX? Was it more of a scramble when it was thesis time? Some people came in to read knowing their thesis topic too. Like some people are like, no, (laughs) I did not know what my thesis. I was definitely one of those freshmen that at orientation week went around to quite a few people and was like, what are you going to do your thesis on? (laughs) And some people would have an answer, but I had no idea what I wanted to do it on. I think that I started just hearing more and more about Title IX as my time at Reed went on. And I was just like, this is an interesting department here at Reed, this concept, this policy. I just kept hearing different complaints, but then also like different positive aspects of it. And I was just like, I don't really understand it. And so I wrote a number of papers on Title IX in different sociology classes and then used what I learned from those in my thesis. But my qual for junior year was about three different books that covered sexual misconduct and violence. It didn't have to do with college campuses, but it was the sociology behind that. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like Title IX covers so much. And then occasionally people are referring to very specific things when they're saying Title IX. I tell people, oh, I thesis on Title IX. And they're always like, I didn't know you were that into sports. Yeah. Like, yeah. I <laughs> that's, like that's playing sports so much. And I'm like, I don't. I'm not talking about the sports. I'm talking about the other stuff, the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. And they're always like, yeah, oh, that's so amazing. They just totally change vibes. Part of my thesis, the beginning of it, chapter one was this history of how Title IX came about and how sexual misconduct got included into it. And it, it suffers from its own creation a little bit because Title IX is based off of Title V, I think, which is that individuals should not be discriminated against in educational settings based on the color of their skin, like based on race. And they just switch that for gender. And that doesn't actually like work all the time because women and men's sports, they're separate. They're separate things. You don't have a co-ed team, but you do have everybody of different races playing on different teams. The way that it works policy-wise starts to fall apart. And then when you like de-gender sexual violence and sexual misconduct, it also falls apart. Title IX is a little interesting. Yeah, no, I originally knew about it as sports and sports teams. And you get to play a sport even if you're a girl. 
(laughs) And that's how I knew about it in high school. And then it wasn't until college that I learned more about Title IX, was hearing about it more in regards to sexual misconduct. And also, I graduated high school the year that COVID happened. But I think that they used to show a film similar to Hunting Ground during the last little bit of the year for people going off to college. Yes. My high school did the same exact thing. Which I always thought was a little ridiculous because it's like, oh, this stuff only happens in college. Like, we're not going to see you before. Like, this must only happen in college. It's just... It is interesting. And, you know, Reed combines the process of reporting Title IX violations with any DHSM violations, which is discriminatory harassment and sexual misconduct. So that covers all of Title IX bonus other kinds of discrimination. Yes, they just get, they put it all in the same office. Yeah, and it's called the Title IX coordinator, but they also have to cover everything else. Yeah, part of my thesis was just how all of that just makes it a little bit confusing for people to really know what's going on. And by combining it, they're, where do I even go? But I, I don't know if it's combined at other schools. The university is able to hide things and even just like making it so it's hard to find the office or hard to find where you're going to go. And that's like the red tape of it all. We put our Title IX person deep in an office, like in a basement somewhere. I think that they should be in the light of day. (laughs) There is an online reporting system that's supposed to make it easy, but it's a little bit confusing and about what you should report where. Again, by throwing these things together, it's so, okay, the main focus on a lot of these things is for Title IX. So are other types of discrimination supposed to be reported in the same place? And is anything happening with these reports? Yeah. Yeah, and it never feels good, like yeah. when you're trying to do what you feel like you need to do, and then it's so sad. <laughs> I, don't think I, mean, I had to read so many books that made me, and so many articles, and so many studies, and I'm sure like anybody who does like an environmental crisis thesis thinks the same thing. It's oh, it's just everything sucks. Like it's all bad. <laughs> yeah, I. Don't know if my mental health could take an environmental crisis thesis or a Title IX thesis, but that feels like one that I personally have to be more familiar with for my own safety. How did you pick your major? I went into read as a biology major. I thought biology was really cool. I do. I'm attempting to go back to school to get a nursing degree. So I do have to go back and take quite a few biology courses. So I should have probably done a little bit more of that I read, but I took intro to sociology as just, I think, a requirement for my groups. And I was with Yejun Kwan and she showed me how cool sociology could be. I just had such a great time in that class. And we were reading so many interesting things. And I was like, this is just so what I'm interested, like, I'm interested in, like, why people do these random things and, like, how people get around these kind of rules and with policies, how people, like, bend and break policies to their own needs and stuff. Like, it just is all so cool to me. Sometimes I'm like, why did I major in sociology? But I did (laughs) very much enjoy all of the classes. I feel like I got a lot more out of all of the classes because they were small and they were kind of Socratic seminars where you're just really like talking about it and coming to conclusions together. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Okay. So let's zoom in to the thesis process. Can you talk about what an average day working on your thesis might look like? It was a lot of reading because a lot of mine was doing a history and 
a literary review of kind of what other people are talking about with this subject. And there was like so many articles and so many books that it was just a lot of like scrupulous note taking. I feel like there was so many things that I should have taken longer doing with my thesis, but I just took longer doing other things instead and took a very short time doing those things. My thesis is really long. It is 110 pages, I think. Made it to three digits, though. Amazing. My chapter one is institutional theory. It goes through neo-institutionalism and inhabited institutionalism. And then it goes into the history of Title IX and tying that into institutional theory, like how these policies reflect these theories or if they do at all. My second chapter was the history. Chapter three was a literary review. Chapter four was the methodology. And chapter five was the data analysis and results. Cool. It was fun. I think I spent quite a bit of time on chapter one and two and should have spent a little bit more time on chapters four and five, but it was still fun. It was so cool. Pretty proud. (laughs) I just, I wish I had hindsight when I was going into my thesis, but You can't do that. What advice would you give to listeners who are starting read or readings who are starting their theses? It's definitely easier to do a thesis that you're a little bit more familiar with, but it's also fun to branch out and see something cool and exciting or learn new things. But yeah, I think it made it a little bit easier that I had already read quite a bit and I had already wrote on the subject before. I think you really want to zoom out and try to think about like, not only what am I going to do in the next month, but what do I want the final project to look like? You just have to have a huge thing of like, just everything you're going to need to have. Because I feel like I went into it and I just was checking off boxes as I went instead of looking at the bottom of the list and then working like backwards and forwards. So interesting. Okay. Overall, are there particular skills that you feel like this thesis really forced you to get strong in? Yeah. I think creating a survey, understanding the kind of language to use and making sure there's a lot of content warnings and just trying to really prepare people for the survey content. Also working to get my survey IRB approved. So working and finding out all the different kind of measures for anonymity and how There is like a watchdog for research. There's people looking out for research subjects, hopefully. Like the IRB, that's what they're there for. The Institutional Review Board. And they're fun. It's just that was one of the big unexpected challenges I had was just like working with that. And then you're also working within somebody else's schedule. So it's not like as soon as you finish what you think the IRB needs, you're going to immediately be able to then publish your survey. You then need to meet with them again. They will then give you another like list of complaints and it just keeps going. If you're going to do that, just blocking out enough time or like getting it done as quick as you can so that you can get back into that meeting is the best way to do it. How long did it take you to get your survey slash surveys approved? I feel like I budgeted myself a month to get it approved and it ended up taking like three months, which just made it so like my distribution was a lot shorter And I tried to keep it open as long as I could, but I had to do the results. And I don't really have too good of a result because the only people that really answered my thesis were all of one demographic. But it was still a fun process to learn how to do that. And then just troubleshooting with data sets. I just was using three different programs where I was using like the survey program, but then I was putting it into a data program that I was then like putting it into something else. So it was a little difficult. 
Were there any other unexpected challenges you encountered doing your thesis? I think, of course, the content and the subject matter was like definitely challenging. And I think that I took a long time away from my thesis subject because of that. But another like weird, every thesis has to deal with this, getting it into the template and going to the ETC to go put it into the template. I thought it was going to be so easy. The first time I turned it in for the first draft, one person did it and she helped me with it and was like speed running it. So it took her four minutes. And then the next time I went, I was there for like two hours trying to get something in and I was getting so frustrated and the person was trying to make it a teaching moment and I was like I don't want to learn right now <laughs> at that moment I was like I really need to burn this thing I just want to go to REM fair oh so you were doing it like at the last minute yes I turned my thesis in at 2 p.m on Friday <laughs> <laughs> amazing I heard from somebody else that they wrote their entire thesis in the template and that was very helpful and they My just advisor did not let me do that because she oh. wanted to do it in Google Docs the entire time so that we could easily comment and it wouldn't disappear anything. I don't know. We did not use the template until the very end, which is the thing that I probably that's one of those things where I'm saying you got to think about the end while you're in the beginning, because I didn't even open the template or I opened it once and barely looked at it. And then at the end, I was like, oh, this is what I have to do with it. I should have been making like more inputs into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that just the tying it up with a neat little bow then takes a little longer than you think it will. Yes, exactly that. And maybe with what I said with the IRB, I didn't meet with them before I started making my survey. Maybe if I had met with them, I would have known a few more things. I just gave it to them. So just thinking about the end while you're at the beginning. It's the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And... Can you talk about the outcome of your thesis? Any results that you found from your survey, conclusions you could draw? I will use the word conclusion so loosely because, again, I really did not get a fair demographic to say anything general. But like of the small liberal arts school that I conducted this survey at, the results of this study indicate that students have a positive perception of institutional policies that is not reflected in their utilization and recommendation of institutional resources and services. So students like the policy, but they don't actually use the services or recommend them. I guess those aren't tied together. Interesting, because it sounds like it's like, yeah, we, this is great. And for not me, <laughs> not for me or my friends. Yeah, exactly that. It's, oh, I'm so happy the school has it, but I don't know. I'm going to do my own thing, I think. And students that had any kind of knowledge or experience with any kind of sexual misconduct or violence or harassment like that were less likely to use any kind of resources on campus. Because I, I think my part of my thesis was about institutional memory. And if the longer you're at a school and the more you interact with it and the more you hear bad stories about policies or services or resources, the less likely you are to use them. And so if you're not really familiar with any of the policies and those policies change each year and the resources change each year. So people's understanding and the rumors about them might not even be true, but because they've heard about that and because they've had these certain interactions with them, they just won't ever use them and they won't ever recommend them. 
but students that haven't had that same kind of interaction with it are more likely to be like, sure, I would recommend it. Sure, I would use it. They don't even know what they're saying, really. Yeah, it's like super I mean, easy to say, sure. So <laughs> I think it's also probably one of those things where it's like, yeah, it sounds like it would run really smoothly in theory. And yeah, exactly. Who wouldn't say I like it? And it's like somebody who has an actual bad experience with them. Do you feel like you found anything that was particularly new or surprising or really affected people that you talk to? I guess with my thesis, like what I like came to the conclusion of with a lot of the studies and books I was reading was that there's just like a lot less sexual education once you get into college. Once you get to school, you have one little like video during orientation week and that's kind of it. And I feel like the school could do a little bit more. Every school, every college and university could do a little bit more to like check in on their students and on their students' sexual health and education. I just feel like we dropped the ball at a certain point. And I also think like sexual education could just be expanded in general. Mm -hmm. It feels like there's just not a lot of language for this kind of thing. And with Title IX, a lot of people are trying to grapple with a bunch of legal language and legal world and steer, but it's like a culture that needs to change. And it's like education is important and awareness. And I read all these books, but not everybody else has read all these books to talk about these things and make gray areas less gray. I think sexual education is of utmost importance. Yeah. Next, we're going to kind of hit on post-read. You're already a little bit out. I graduated in 2022, in the May of 2022. It was difficult with COVID, like a year of doing that and then just still trying to like transition back. And I just, I didn't feel like I got to see that much of Portland because of that. And I didn't feel like I got to find my like way around this city enough because Reed is such a bubble. And so I was excited to pop that bubble and see Portland so I stayed in Portland for a year and I worked at a deli and then I worked at a pizza place and I had a bunch of fun working at the pizza place. But then I moved to New York and I'm here now and I'm working at a spa, which is fun. But I'm also <laughs> trying to work on getting my prerequisites to go to nursing school. I think my thesis, it's going to inform my future in a few ways. I am very interested in Title IX and helping survivors. And just if I was a nurse, I would try to work as a sane nurse, which is a sexual assault nurse examiner. It's somebody who responds to victims of sexual assault in a hospital. I researched a lot about them for my qual. Having good bedside manner and doing that would be really cool. Yeah, I imagine that it takes a lot of tact to deal with those types of situations. Yeah, I just think it would be really rewarding. And I would really love to help people. And it's like kind of evidence collection. So it's helpful in that way too. Working in a Title IX office would also be amazing, but it might be something that I would do after that. Trying to change the culture, like the way that hookup culture kind of is toxic and can just lead to a lot of bad things. And so um, working to get my way into a Title IX office would be amazing and working in there so that I can actually do some of the work that I would love to see on campuses. Awesome. Is there anybody you would like to thank or acknowledge for helping you with the thesis process? Yes, my lovely thesis advisor, who I still am in contact with, and I got coffee with, Alex. She's amazing. Oh. Uh, and it's really fun being friendly with your thesis advisor. It's nice that it wasn't all very serious talk. She would be late for dinner because I would keep her in her office, just me rambling and rambling. <laughs> And I wouldn't, I don't know, I would not be taking a single note, but I would just be talking and talking. So thank you, Alex, for listening to me. <laughs> awesome. And is there anything else that 
you would like to say to our lovely Burn Your Draft listeners or to Nate, who is so excited? Oh, I'm so excited that I got to do this and be on the other side. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Nate. (laughs) That was amazing. I loved working for Burn Your Draft. That was a highlight of my read career, I will say. Especially in Pexy. That was a lot of fun. I would sit at the front with Nate and everybody would ask me questions and I would be like, sorry, I'm a podcast producer. But then I would, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> I'm producing. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. And I love Burn Your Draft. I love this concept. And I love that everybody gets to talk about their theses. And I love people talking about their theses. And I love the way that y'all are doing it now. I'm going to come back in 10 years and Burn Your Draft is going to be like a huge media platform. It was fun. I got to name it that. Oh, you named this? Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> and I was really trying to think of something. No, uh, it's so cute. You, I love if it. If you Google burn your draft, burning your draft card comes right. up. Which I think is very read. <laughs> no, it feels rebellious for sure. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for coming back and doing the other side of your old job. Thank you so much for getting in contact with me. And I'm so happy we were able to make this work. See, did you guys hear that? positive review from a former employee. Thank you so much, Francesca, for coming back to talk with me and just keep on giving to the Burn Your Draft listeners. This is true dedication. And thank you guys for listening. I hope you'll join us again next time to talk to more readies about their theses and better understand just why you'd want to burn your draft. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced and engineered by me, Reed College student Tommy Schacht. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from staff member Joe Janica. Nate Martin, staff member and class of 2016, is our project manager. Music by Jack Salvucci, class of 2020, and podcast art by alumni Henry Gotchlick and Lillian Pham, class of 2020. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin. Uh, is it weird, like, being on the other side? Yes. <laughs> Try to think about how people view them and institutional theory within so associate. I'm, like, so nervous about this. I read through it today and I found, like, three spelling errors. I was so mad. Getting right back into bed after this.